Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak to Mike Young, CEO of Vimy Resources, ASX listed uranium junior with assets in Western Australia. Uh, made a couple of big announcements uh, recently. The environmental management plans have been approved. And also DFS re- uh, refresh means that the numbers look slightly better. But the market hasn't reacted. Share prices hasn't moved. And we ask him why. Enjoy the podcast. Mike, how are you doing, sir? Very well. It's great to be back on. It's great to have you back on. It's been so long, so long. You've been a busy boy, though. Yeah, I have been. Uh, COVID hasn't slowed us down at all. Um, we've uh, had the DFS refresh come out um, about a week and a half ago, and then we had two announcements uh, soon after that about KPMG coming on as uh, a partner, a corporate partner, and, and then also uh, getting some very important conditional management plans done. And uh, so we got lots to talk about today, but I, I just want to say I wish I was in London talking to you because this is about exactly the time we'd be at the WNA. That's right. London. That is right. But that is not happening. And I'm not quite sure if any no. conferences are happening. We've got a brave new world of online communication happening at the moment, which I think I'm not sure. I th- I'm not sure if people are enjoying it as much as meeting face to face. I mean, what's your take? Would you rather be shaking hands, pressing flash? Always. Uh, I think there's you, you pick up nuances and your relationships develop much better when you're talking to people face to face. Fortunately for us, you know we've been around in the industry for quite a while, so we do have we've already established the credibility. So it's it's easier to do the video conferences, especially with the U.S. utilities, who we all know very well. Um, but you always prefer face-to-face because you can just relax a bit more and have a beer and, you know, you can finish your meeting and go, hey, why don't we go grab a beer? And it's very hard to do on Zoom. Yeah, yeah. It's cheaper, though. That's the good news. That's the upside, <laughs> one of the upsides. Less flying, well, even better. That's true. Even better. Hey, well, like, um, it's been a while since we spoke. It, it, what have you been up to? You're a keen cyclist, I remember. Um, you gave me some cycling tips before we started filming, which I thank you for. I'm, I'm going be- to join the club. It's happening. Peloton first, and then I'm going to need some bike advice. Oh, um, I've I've got plenty of that. Um, I've got uh, you. You saw on Twitter uh, on the weekend where I posted my my art, which was my my four of my bicycles. Um, but those are the those are the main antagonists there. Um, uh, I think I've fallen on all of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Off to the side, out of. Out of frame, which you wouldn't have seen, are the three helmets that are cracked. <laughs> right. So I'm, just a, I'm not sure you're the guy I need to ask for anyway. advice if you're falling off bikes. That's uh, <laughs> it's not a good start. Uh, oh, well, Mike. There's let, two types of cyclists, Matt. There's two types of cyclists, those who have fallen and those who are going to fall. Right. You're putting me off. You're putting me off. Maybe I'll just stick with the peloton. <laughs> um, Mike, yeah, we, stick with the peloton. why don't we kick off and give people, because it's been a while, give people as a one-minute overview of um, the story, where, you know, where you're at today, not necessarily the sales pitch. We'll come on to that, uh, just uh, and again, for people new yep. to this as well. Sure. So, so Vimy, um, we have the Mulga Rock deposit, and then we also have uh, an exploration play in the Northern Territory called Alligator River, but Mulga Rock's our main game. Um, back in 2018, we published a definitive feasibility study, which at the time was um, we were very happy with it and the market uh, seemed to like it. Um, two years has passed and we decided we would review that study with a view to getting some of the cost down if possible. Um, and so we just this month um, or late last month, excuse me, <clears throat> released a 
what we call a DFS refresh. So we didn't look at any of the technical matters of the DFS. We just had a look at some of the commercial matters and um, we can talk about that in a bit more detail. Um, so that we, we've been doing a lot of work on that very detailed deep dive. Uh, it's been very, very good for our team to do it. Um, and the results were very good. We're very happy with the results. It's a, a much better project economically. Um, so we'll, as I say, we'll get into those details. And then um, to forward the project, we mandated KPMG as a corporate advisor to help us uh, find partners for both those projects. Um, Rock's a big project and uh, you know, with our market cap where it currently is, we may need some help to get up up and going, but that's not to say that if the uh, conditions improve quickly and our market cap recovers, we could certainly uh, do it on our own. We certainly have the capacity to do that. And then um, finally, some uh, very important environmental management plans were approved by the state government. And these are the foundations for the rest of our secondary approvals. So um, I, I guess the door is now open to moving towards uh, moving towards production. And while that's all been going on, we've been you know, monitoring the uranium market with uh, Scott Hyman in America and, and keeping very busy and in, very, in front of all the utilities waiting for the day that they uh, start contracting again. Thank you very much. I mean, we, we have a sort of weekly uranium um, show. So we've kind of got a series it's been going for about five months now. And we talk about some of the macro events that are happening in, in the world. And, you, you know, for people who invest in uranium or any uranium companies, you've got to believe that macro story um, holds true. So um, wouldn't mind your opinion on, on some of the moving parts there before we get into your story, which is why we have to uh, talk today. Um, obviously, U.S. utilities, people seem very, very um, reliant and dependent um, and look to U.S. utilities behavior. Um, what do you think is holding them back? Well, certainly COVID um, combined with the refueling cycles that they have in the spring uh, certainly kept them very busy. Um, we know from our discussions with the utilities that they uh, they had to manage COVID. They, the safety of their people were their highest priority, um, which should be no surprise, but they had to manage COVID. One of the things about the refueling cycle that happens each spring and each autumn in America, because that's the sort of shoulder of the seasons, if you like, in terms of electricity demand, is that there is a group of people who are specialists who travel from utility to utility, carrying out a lot of the work. And because of COVID, that process was slowed down or delayed. Um, notwithstanding that, Exelon actually had a 14-day refuel, which I think was one of the fastest they'd ever done. Um, but the rest of them, COVID did um, add a, a complication. And on top of that, of course, you had the other external issues that have been going on, the, the remnants of the Section 232, the Nuclear Fuel Working Group, um, the Russian Suspension Agreement, and finally the Iranian Sanction Waivers. So all of these things were causing uncertainty. Um, and there was, there was certainly no uh, mood for the utilities to dive into the market. And as you well know, um, when prices were lower in 17 and 18, they were building up their inventories. We saw that the inventories in 2019 um, basically uh, remained essentially flat. So, so they've been managing their inventories, a little bit of carry trade, not much. Um, one of the major utilities closed off an RFP last week. Um, there's uh, in trade tech this week, they're talking about three more utilities coming out. So look, they, uh, it was really interesting. We had one of the utilities was on a conference call we had here in Australia and you know, somebody pointed out to the fuel buyer um, you know, there's there's a shortage of uranium this year. We're mining far less than we're burning. 
um, prices will go up. Um, you know, don't you guys worry about it? And his exact words were, I remember committing it to memory because it was beautiful. We worry about tomorrow's problems when we get to tomorrow. And that that's really uh, quite telling because that tells you how the utilities think. They don't think like commodity buyers. They think like people who are buying something for a process. So they're just buying stock for their process. And so they don't, you know, when you when you do the maths, and, and we've talked about this before, the difference between $35 a pound and $55 a pound is 0.125 cents a kilowatt hour. That's the difference. So so they're not, you know, they're not going to spend money to put uranium on the dock and, and have it just sit there when they could be using the money for other things. A lot of competing interests for the chief nuclear officer in terms of, you know, um, maintenance. Um, they want they want to buy at the lowest price possible, of course. But the decision they now have to make is, you know, do they want to be the first guys in at 50 or the last guys in at 70? And and really, that's what it's going to come down to. You know, you had Brandon on a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about how the utilities buy in a spectrum of prices. There is no, this you know, this imaginary price. There's no, there's no price. There's no benchmark. This is a spectrum of prices. And so, you know, for, for people like us, we, we want to jump into that spectrum. And that's why we spend so much time with the utilities to make sure that when, when they ask us to jump, we're there jumping. It's kind of interesting. You mentioned Exelon there, 14-day uh, refueling um, period. Great. But they've also announced uh, plant closure of two nuclear reactors. So maybe a bit of saber rattling, maybe. Um, but they've got options. You know, they've got cheap natural gas. They've got the you know renewable wind, solar, etc. So they've they've got a lot of uh, optionality there. So what's what's your take on the well potentially? I think some people put it position it as a game that is being played by utilities uh, to maybe force the government, U.S. government, to kind of step up and contribute towards some of these very large infrastructure costs, whether it be for upgrade or for new reactors. Look, I think it's I think there's certainly an element of that. They certainly wouldn't be saying we're going to do this if they wouldn't follow through. You wouldn't want to be playing poker with Exelon. Um, but, but happily in America, you would have seen the Democrats have now gone, um, well, I wouldn't say they've gone pro-nuclear, but they've gone, uh, what's the terminology they use? Uh, technology neutral is is the, the best you get from a, a lefty in a pro-nuclear stance is technology neutral. So after 49 years, the Dems have finally said, we need to look at nuclear. So I think, you know, America is seeing a sea change. You can look at the statistics out of California um, by closing their nuclear plants. You know, they've got rolling blackouts. Um, they were held up as the poster boy for renewables, and that's clearly not working. They're sort of suffering the same problem as Germany, high energy costs and unreliable power sources. So, look, my view is, yes, um, they are threatening to close some plants down. Uh, they are they are facing asymmetric um, uh uh, government subsidies, because you know when the wind's blowing, the government takes the material, uh, takes the electricity from the windmills, and that is a form of subsidy. Uh, so what they're asking for is a level playing field, and on a level playing field, nuclear does does compete; it is competitive. So, you know, I hope I don't know what's going to happen, but I would hope that those plants stay open. Um, if they do close, there's still a market there; it's not a huge hit. Um, you know, we're seeing growth in other parts of the world, predominantly China, the Middle East. Um, so there is net growth. Um, the uranium has to go somewhere. Our preferred market is the U.S. We've said that. Um, but with, you know, with KPMG coming on board, we're looking at other options. Um, we're looking at uh, perhaps there's partnerships with with off takers that we could explore. 
certainly not in America. They, they just go for straight um, uranium sales. Um, but that's certainly something we'll look at. And, and certainly KPMG has got a, a very wide mandate. Do you not get frustrated with the inaction in the marketplace? Because you know, you've, you've, t- you've hit upon some of the things which are perhaps holding utilities back. You know, the Russian suspension agreement around sanctions. You know, you've, you've obviously the effects of COVID. Um, you know, US elections. Th- those, those sorts of things are having an impact on on decision making, it seems, it would appear. Um, but at the same time, the amount of demand that has come out of, the amount of supply, sorry, that's come out of the market because of COVID, you know, in terms of, you know, Cigar Lake shutting down and it's just restarted. You've got, you know, Kazatom Prom saying they're not going to replace the lost pounds that that, that they've, um, that, that, you know, from the, from the last few months. Does it not frustrate you that <clears throat> the market is not, Seeing that, you know, the generalist investors that you may rely on for future growth aren't into that level of detail. They just look at the spot price, which hasn't, well, it's had a, a little raise up to about 34 bucks. It's back down around 30. Um, it, it, there's a huge disconnect somewhere, but people aren't trying to, people can't seem to understand why that disconnect is there. And if I look at your share price, you know, it's 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 struggled. Oh, please don't. <laughs> no, well, well, I am, I am. You know, it's 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 struggled for the last. You and know, I do too. I mean, uh, three four years, yeah, Mike. I don't mean to be glib. No, and I, I know you yeah, don't. I don't mean to be glib, and that's the question I'm asking, Mike. Yeah. Is you know, you, you're a shepherd. People are not seeing the growth potential for you, either because of the macro, or because of what's happening um, locally. You know, you know, do do is it a case of people don't think you're going to get the permits that you need? I mean, where where do you think the disconnect is for your company? It's a really great question, and the word disconnect is very apt because in one of our previous presentations, we do show the historic um, share price and uh, metal price from about um, 2015, and about three years ago, it did disconnect. And I put part of that down to um, market fatigue. You know, we are our own worst enemy in terms of predicting the future. Um, None of us got it right. Uh, You know, we were predicting a nuclear renaissance two years ago. We got that wrong. Um, I think people are getting tired. Um, certainly all of our peers suffered the same general disconnect from the price as we did, but you're right. We haven't performed as well as our peers. And it is frustrating when you look at the news flow that we're putting out, you look at the DFS refresh, um, it is frustrating. Um, and I think part of the problem is people do spend a lot of time looking at the spot price. And you know, Mike Galkin and myself have done that to death. So that's, you know, you're flogging a bit of a dead horse there telling people not to look at it because that's the only handle they have. Um, with respect to the to the, the, the supply demand, uh, demand supply imbalance that we're seeing this year, um, the fuel that they're burning in the reactors this year, they acquired that four or five years ago. And that's the biggest problem with this market is that there's this huge temporal time lag. And, and all we can really do is just keep on, you know, doing the things that we said we were going to do, keep delivering on our promises and unfortunately, wait for that existential event that then catalyzes the spot price that seems to catalyze investment. Now, anyone who can see past that and, and, and is a long investor, obviously, they're going to look at someone like Vimy. They're going to look at the DFS. You know, when you're looking at our, our, our all-in sustaining costs, on, we are now competitive with the high-cost Kazakh operations in terms of all-in sustaining costs. So anybody looking around going, gosh, where am I going to put my money for the best leverage? Well, Vimy's, Vimy's in a very small club. And then you look at the team and you've got a bunch of people who have built mines before. So 
yes, I get frustrated. And that's why I cycle so much. You can actually, you can actually plot my frustration by the number of kilometers I do every week. Um, no, look, cycling is a good release and there's lots of pressure and I, I, I want the share price to be higher. We're certainly doing everything we can to do that. Uh, but, you know, people have to buy the shares and, and happy to take advice, Matt. You've seen it all. Well, yeah, we, we, we've we certainly spoken to a lot of a lot of people. And again, coming back to this weekly show that we do around nuclear, which is on cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, we talk about all of these macro components and their impact in the marketplace. And they're complex things uh, in the sense that it's kind of geopolitical component to the, what people say and what people do aren't necessarily correlated. Um, there is this um, supply demand story, which is... I think well understood by a few, but uh, is not understood by the many um, because they're, they're, again they, they would expect under normal economic rules that the spot price, which is why they judge it, you would to move. But of course, you and I know it's it's contracting is a big part of this, and as you referred to earlier, contracts have different price points during the term of the contract. You know, that's the way it, that's the way it goes. It's very, very rarely one fixed price over a period of time. And this huge inventory in with with utilities, not just the US, but also European utilities of about three years, they don't have to make a decision anytime soon. So for you guys, that's tough to go and tell that story because it's complicated. It's really complicated. So what's what's the kind of pushback that you're getting when you're sort of going out there, on, you know, doing these sort of virtual roadshows at the moment? The biggest question we get is uh, both approvals and uh, contracts. So there's no there's no questions on the viability of the project, on on the, the risk of the project. Um, very few people ask about that. Um, they always ask about when are you going to get your when are you going to get contracts? Um, and those are people who understand the market, who know that the contracts are going to drive what we do. Um, and they they do ask why is the spot price so low, um, and any other questions about approvals, and that's why the the announcement on the conditional management plans was so important. Okay, can we talk about Australia, please? Because I I, I want to step away from macro because we talk we've we kind of talked it to death, and I think most of our viewers understand it. They they get it. Um, Australia is not a territory they know in the context of uranium. Obviously, obviously gold you know sure. had a gangbuster uh, year or so. Australia doesn't seem to be pro-nuclear, doesn't seem to be pro-uranium, therefore. So what are the difficulties being a uranium miner in country? And what do people like Julian Tapp have to manage on a weekly basis? Great question. Um, so so in, in Australia, you've got obviously different states and the, each of the states have a lot of, well, they run the mining in the states. Mining is not a federal issue. Um, uranium, only the export license is federal, and that's not political. That's just done through bureaucracy, and that's a very simple thing to get. So Western Australia um, has a Labor government. They're um, against uranium mining, but before projects, which was Yuliri, Kintyre, Toro, and ourselves, which had received ministerial approvals before the election where the LP won, um, they're allowed to proceed. And as, as getting the approvals um, recently show, um, they're not holding us up uh, in any bureaucratic way. So they're they're allowing the process to go through. And in fact, the Labour Party in Western Australia is a very broad church. And most of the leadership group, I, I happen to know for a fact, are actually uh, technology neutral, uh, which is the euphemism for a left-wing person who's pro-nuclear. 
Um, and then you go to Queensland and Queensland has banned uranium mining. New South Wales is looking at allowing uranium exploration. So each state is different. Australia has a long history of anti-nuclear activism. And I think the reason for that is that the British did weapons testing in Australia. And so people conflate nuclear power with nuclear weapons, which is wrong. But when you're looking at emotions and ideology, there is no wrong and right. There's just belief and not belief. So that's got a lot to do with it. And look, yes, it is more difficult. Um, you know, gold would be easier. Even lithium would be easier these days. Um, but this, you know, when I first looked at Mulder Rock and first got involved, um, it, it, it was just the sheer size of it and the sheer simplicity of it that attracted me to it. And I knew that it was going to be difficult. And that's why I brought Julian Tapp on board. Um, and Julian, you know, he's, he's working through the approvals. He only works for us part-time, as you know, because he's, um, we don't require him full time and we, we do want to keep our costs down. Uh, but he's a very important part of our, our process and the way that he moved these environmental management plans through is brilliant. And he'll do the same for our works approval and our mining proposal. Okay, well, let's talk about those things because I, I wondered, you know, what next? Because there is a process you've got to get through to be able to become a miner, a uranium miner in Western yep. Australia. Okay, yep. so it, it's, and it's, there's some hard yards ahead of you and it's going to cost money and it's going to take time. So can you give us a sense of both of those things, please? Sure. So so there's three three things you need um, when you start a mine here. You need your mining tenure, which we have. Um, very important to highlight that. We've got mining leases and what are called miscellaneous leases for the entire life of mine. Very important. Um, you sometimes need a native title agreement. Now, we don't have a native title claim on Mulder Rock, so that was something we didn't need. We we are literally on unallocated crown land, which there's, I think the only other place in the world that has that is Antarctica, but there's not a whole lot of that in the world. So that was another big tick. And then the third thing, of course, is your ministerial environmental approvals, and we have those. Then what happens, it's a bit like if you buy a house, Matt, you buy a block, you have to go to the council and get permission to build a house. And there's a bit of toing and froing about how many windows it's gonna have and toilets and whose yard you can see into. We've gone through all that. And then you have to get a building permit. And you have to get a building permit if you want to put a, a deck up or a garage or a tree fort. You know, there's just permits for everything. And that's the stage we're in. We're in the building permit stage now. But before those permits could be done, we needed to know what the environmental limitations were for our emissions. And that's CO2 emissions. That's our tailings, um, the water that we use, the spraying that we use for anti-dust. Um, our re-injection bore field, all of that is covered by environmental management plants. Everything, soil, the whole thing. It's very, very complete. In fact, you know, if people are looking at ESG and buying uranium, there aren't very many countries in the world, maybe Canada and ourselves, that have the environmental standards that are required. And as an aside, Matt, that is something that really frustrates me about environmental groups. So rather than fighting us and stop trying to stop us and, and letting them buy material from another country where the standards aren't as high, they should be joining with us and making sure that we are mining at world's best practice. Anyway, so now that we have these environmental management plans, we can now move to the mining proposal, which in that proposal will say, we are going to mine like this and we will stay within the uh, limits that have been imposed by the environmental management plans. So that's the stage we're at now. We're moving forward with the works approval and the mining proposal. So the question was, how much money, how much time? All the money is just manpower. So it's really Julian working two days a week. Uh, that's how much money it is. Uh, we also have a, uh, a young woman who's just returned from maternity leave. So she'll be helping Julian as well. She's a fantastic environmental engineer. Um, so that's all it is. It's just desk time. So it's not that expensive. 
Um, and then timing-wise, we're hoping around six months to get those approvals done. Okay, so why raise 5.5 million? What are you going to do with 5.5 million Australian dollars? Yep. So part of that was certainly the refresh. We were uh, that was expensive. That was engineering time. Uh, we didn't do any more test work, but there was a, as I said, it was a very deep dive, and we had several people from Geo Engineering working on that. Um, because we have mining leases, we do have, we actually have quite high uh, rents and rates. We spend about $2.2 million a year on government rents and rates and charges. Um, and that's because we have those mining leases. Now, without those mining leases, we wouldn't be getting off the ground because that, that was the secret to getting um, the approval from this government. Um, and then we've got, we've got some activity up on the ground at Alligator River where we were hoping to do some RC drilling up there this year. Um, but unfortunately, one of the um, heritage surveys was delayed for per family reasons of the people up in country. Uh, COVID has certainly slowed us down, but we, we have a very good COVID management plan. We actually have people on the ground up in the Northern Territory. Um, so some of the, some of the uh, work will go into that. And then um, with that money, uh, we would hope that we won't be going back to the market. Um, certainly uh, this financial year is our goal. And then uh, I would hope that the market has recovered. We're announcing um, uh, contracts and that the share price is much, much higher before we have to go back to the market. Okay, Kim, you've got it wrong for the last two years. Everyone has. Why, why, do, you, <laughs> why do you say that? Why, why, why do I do these videos? Right. But, but that, that's my point. You, you can't know at the moment. The market has been quite bizarre. You've got utilities sitting on three years' worth of inventory. They will make the decision as to when contracts get signed. So you must have had a view when you raised $5.5 million as to the reality of the situation. And I know you've got to get that balance between not trying to shock the market with what you perhaps think versus, um, well, this is enough to kind of get us down the road a bit, keep the lights on for a bit, pay the rents and rates for a bit, cover the GNA. I mean, what, what was that debate you had at board level? We did we did have that debate, Matt. That's a very good question. Um, and what we were getting back from people was we were people were getting tired of seeing a raise every six months. And what they said was, get one done, get it out of the way, get some clear air, get your balance sheet healthy. Um, because as you say, you don't know. You don't know if the utilities are gonna come back this, this, this year. I suspect, well, I know for a fact we're getting close. Um, uh, or you don't know if they're going to come back in a year. You just don't know. But going back to the market every six months was just getting very tiresome for people. Um, the money came out of the blue. Uh, we were we were actually approached by a group out of Melbourne, uh, GK Capital Partners, who said, look, we've got this money in the tin. Um, what do you think? And uh, because we, we had the money there, um, most of our existing shareholders put in. Um, some didn't. Um, that's their decision. Uh, but but we've got uh, some new shareholders on board, and we just took we just took the view. Let's get the balance sheet. Um, let's get the balance sheet uh, firmed up. Did Andrew Forrester put more money in? No, he didn't follow his money this time. Okay, why not? Which is good because we would have had to pair a bunch of people back. Okay, let's go with that. Um, okay, so so GK Capital come in and said, right, we'll 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 put this money in. Um, you hope not to come back to market this year. That kind of feels like a six-month plan to me again. Um, so, if you if you do have to, what would be the reasons or conditions under which you would have this to come back? This financial year. When is your financial year end? Sorry, let me start with that. June thirty. June thirty. Okay, fair enough. Fair point. You also said there that you know you know that utilities are coming back soon. So, was that Scott's work, or why do you say that? Why do you say you know? Yeah, yeah. So we. Um 
the way the market works is the utilities put out RFPs, but between the RFPs and and uh, between the utilities, there is a lot of off-market work um, that we do. Um, you know, having Scott in the states is certainly you know we didn't see COVID coming, uh, but having him in the states has certainly been a godsend. You know, he he's 30 years in the industry, so you know a lot of times this is a this is a uh, relationships market. And, you know, rather than us spending years and years and years getting to know and trust the utilities and vice versa, they're dealing with a guy they've been working with for 30 years. So we get a lot of intel through Scott, um, get a lot of insight um, with RFPs that we've um, that we've actually submitted and, and obviously failed. We haven't announced any contracts yet. Um, we do get feedback on on what the thought process was uh, as they went through the RFPs. Um, they refer to the big five being Uranium One, Cameco, uh, Arano, BHP, and uh, uh, Kazadamprom. So they call they call them the big five, and then and then we come into the next tier. Um, and so that sort of feedback, um, you know, you were asking me earlier about am I frustrated? Well, yes, I'm frustrated, but I know what the utilities are telling us, so that kind of sustains me. You know, it, it, look, I'll be I'll be frank, Matt. You know, there's a big gold boom going on right now, and with my experience, you know, people saying, "Hey, would you like to run a gold mine?" And the fact of the matter is, I, you know, I can see the finish line here. I can it, it's it's yes, it might be the tape might be moving away a bit, but there's a tape there. There's a finish line there, and um, you know, you had Brandon on recently, and he was he was also uh, talking about the same thing. The fact the utilities have to come back, and when you look at the all-in sustaining cost curve, um, they have to pay you know, between 55 and 75 to sustain that production. So when you, when you're armed with all of that and you see you have this deep inside knowledge of the market, you keep going. And what's interesting is when you see guys like myself, um, Brandon Munro, Duncan Crabb, um, guys who've been in the industry for a long time, we have this other boom going on and guys like that easily hireable, not leaving because we actually believe it because we, we have that innate knowledge of the of the industry, and, and it is. I wish I could put, you know, a, a, a tinfoil hat on me and a tinfoil hat on the investors and say, here, here, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I know, and then they'd say, oh yes, I'm going to buy some Vimy. So yeah, there's there's. I got very strong uh, belief in this sector because of of the amount of time we spend inside it. Okay, now you've done the environmental, um, or rather, the environmental management plans have been approved. But just by what you're saying, it's kind of uh, easy selling from now. They are certainly the hard bit. Yep. They were the ones that were very detailed in terms of, I'll give you an example. We were having discussions about how far from the road we would monitor for overspray from the, um, you know, the plume from spraying on the road to keep dust down and how often we would sample and how deep the sample would be. I mean, it was, it was detailed. And only a guy like Julian, who you know well, could deal with that, you know. I would have been, I would have been dropping the f bomb. But, but Julian's, you know, he's in, hugely intelligent. He's infinitely patient. And uh, look, to be quite honest, the guys in in the Department of Water and Environmental Regulation, they were fair. They were asking the questions that need to be asked, and and we responded, and we got the management plans approved. Okay, but you, what I'm saying is, is, you've got no concerns about your ability to get the rest of the approvals that you need to get into production. It's just easy. No, there's no there's no political decisions. So so the approvals process is a is a bureaucratic one. Now, having seen Yes Minister, that might put the fear of God into some people. Uh, 
but you know we've we've got our own Humphrey here with Julian. Um, so no, we we've never we've never felt that the approvals would be a dead stop. Um, we know they would take time. Certainly, Western Australia is extremely busy right now. Julian does work for um, some other companies, one of whom is doing uh, potash, and he's finding that the approvals process there is pretty much the same uh, speed as it is for us. So we're seeing nothing that indicates that there's a resistance to our approvals process. We just have to, you know, we're in the same queue as the gold miners, the lithium guys, and we're just we're just marching forward. Okay, let's talk about your DFS. Okay, you've refreshed it. What assumptions have you changed? What are the key assumptions that you've changed? Yeah, well, firstly, and importantly, I'll talk about things we didn't change. So, so what happened was in 2019, Marcel had just joined us. Marcel has a lot of experience in project management. And um, he said, well, we agreed that we should do a review of the DFS. We had some gentlemen come in and review it. And what they found was that the, the mining, the mining strategy and, and schedule and the uh, flow sheet, the metallurgical flow sheet didn't need to change. They felt that the work that had been done was world-class. The fact that we'd done pilot plants for both the pits and, and the metallurgical flow sheet they said was absolutely outstanding. Um, what they did see though, was that the uh, owner operate uh, model that we had for the mining fleet, which we had done in the DFS to reduce operating costs um, considerably, the owner operator model didn't work. Uh, and they felt that we had too many people on site. So they looked at our staffing. I'll give you an example. We had 27 people working in the lab. And as it turned out, we didn't need that many. So a little bit gold plated. So they went through it, fine tooth comb, uh, gave us a bunch of recommendations, and we basically went through um, with the engineers who did the original DFS uh, so that there was no competitive tension um, and basically went through it line, literally line by line. I remember seeing a line in a spreadsheet with $4,000 a year for faxes. Obviously, that's come out. Um, but where we got the most savings was on the mining fleet. So where we, where we were going to buy a new mining fleet for the life of the operation we're now looking at buying refurbished equipment from a, a earth moving contractor that did the test pits who is based here in Western Australia. And they actually are only one of only two earth moving contractors in Western Australia who can, who actually have the workshops to refit equipment. Um, and what that means is that we'll be buying equipment much cheaper um, up front. And then we buy new equipment or new refurbished equipment during the life of the operation out of sustaining capital, which is in the all in sustaining cost. Um, and they'll also come on board and they'll do a cost plus. They'll operate the equipment even though we own it. So it's basically a hybridized owner-operate contract model. And it's really the best outcome. And the fact that we we saw these guys come to site, dig the two test pits profitably for them, and they were they were by far the cheapest contract um, contract that was tendered. And they did a fantastic job and they were happy with the outcome. Um, I think that's an outstanding result. And that's about 60% of the 60% of the savings. Um, the rest come, came from um, changing from an uh, EPC model to East, uh, sort of a hybrid EPC, EPCM, where we'll actually have an owner's team, but um, some of those overheads that you get with an EPC model have been reduced. And then the fact that we, we uh, were able to uh, change the manning levels, we were able to make the airstrip shorter because we'll go with airplanes rather than jets. The camp size comes down and you have a whole bunch of ancillary things that flow on from that. And then there were you know, rats and mice, there was pipeline costs and things like that, that we managed to come down steel. And, you know, I know you, you, you get 20 or 30 things where you're serving a million dollars, saving a million dollars that starts to add up. So what that meant was that the capital came down by a million dollars, a hundred million dollars Australian. 
um, from almost 500 million to the below 400 million, which is about 253 um, US. What's your break even? So that was an outstanding result. What's your break even? Pardon me? What's your break even price? Uh, 36.75 is break even. So if you put that price in our model, the NPV is zero. Okay. Got it. And, and you're looking for, I noticed you used, you used to talk about looking for 60 bucks, you're now looking at 55, which I think is comparable to what a lot of people are asking for in the, in the market as an average. Um, do you see that happening anytime soon? Well, we, we introduced in the DFS refresh, I've introduced a new term because we know this, this industry loves acronyms, which is the uh, VWC, the volume weighted contract price. Um, so what, what we're doing is we're going to have a spectrum of prices, you know, above and below 55. Um, you know, some people um, see the price going to 65, 70. Certainly there will be utilities buying at that level or they're not going to get uranium. Um, and obviously, as a salesman, um, you always go in, you might go in with a lower price up front. If you get one of the big utilities coming in, you might offer them a bit less than 55. Um, but we do know we're getting close. Um, but that's not. You know, the, we'll see the next. Uh, that's not the question, sorry? and that's not the question. Uh, the, the, what you want to get versus what is happening in the marketplace is when do you think you're going to be able to get fifty-five average contract price on board? Let me. How much longer will you have to try and keep the lights on until the market moves? That's the question. Yeah. Well, see, that's the problem, Matt. Is you just don't know. And you, we talked about this before, and we we have been saying for two years that it's next six months we'll get it. The next six months we'll get it. Um, and to be my, Matt, I'll give you my honest answer. I don't know. I really don't know. We we talk to these guys. We know exactly where their heads are at. One day they're going to pop up and say, "Yes, we'll take that. Thank you very much." And we're going to have to, you know, we got three and a half million pounds that we need to um, get rid of. Let's say we do seventy five percent of that. You're talking about two and a bit. Uh, you don't do two million pound contracts, you do 200,000 pound contracts. So we're going to need 10 contracts spread across. So let's say, let's say from now till June 30 next year, we're writing contracts. Um, let's say by June 30 next year, we're at a point where we can start looking at funding. That takes another six months. You're in construction by the end of 21. You're in production by the end of 23. I mean, that's our working calendar at the moment. Um, and obviously, that's that is it is entirely existential, and that is frustrating. It's yeah, hugely frustrating. I, I can imagine so. But you've delivered, I say, two bits of quite strong news, and one sort of interesting. Environmental management plan approved. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Okay, it is. Um, your DFS refresh. You've saved a lot of money, shaved a lot of costs. That's a that's a big deal. And then, you know, hiring KPMG to kind of give you a bit of exposure to markets outside of the US, that's sort of interesting, right? The market has not reacted to those bits of story at all. And you, you see your peers, your uranium peers, all in the green, you know, price, prices are up across the board, despite the, you know, the fallback on spot price. I mean, what's happening? What are, what are people nervous about with you that I'm, that I'm not getting? Well, I'm not getting any feedback. That's that's the thing. I mean, um, the feedback I'm getting. We we did a um, uh, it's around here somewhere. We did a a stakeholder perception survey, and there just was no no bad feedback. Like the team, like the project, like what we're doing. Tick tick tick. And this is what gets me. I I don't know if it's just the rats and mice trading day traders. Um, you know, it frustrates me when you see companies buy a piece of moose pasture in Wyoming. 
go out there with a scintillometer and take some readings and their share price goes up 25, 50%. I mean, that just, I, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, what do you do? Um, you know, you don't want to go spend shareholders money drilling holes up at the alligator just to generate results. I mean, that's, that's a great asset for a partner to come in on that one. And let's get a partner in there and get them spending the money, right. And get the good results. But you know, that, and that is the temptation, Matt, the temptation is to go get a rig, go drill at the alligator, get 10 meters at 2% announce that result. Well, that's just a big sugar hit. And as you'll discover, when you start riding a bike, that sugar lasts for about 15 minutes, right? You need, you, you need sustainable value. And, you know, we're doing all we can. I've done this before and it's worked and uh, it is frustrating that. But here's, here's the thing, Mike, you're going to need to, given you don't know when you're going to be able to start contracting, I say you're going to need a few of them because people aren't going to sign big contracts with you because you're new. You're, you're new to this, right? So you probably will need eight, nine, ten of these contracts in, in place to kind of get mm -hmm. the ball moving, get cash flows moving. Um, you're you're going to need to raise some capital. You are. But if your share price isn't moving, it's it's hugely dilutory yet again to your shareholder, your current shareholders. It's going to be a great, great deal for whoever's coming in. It's fantastic. But, yeah. you know, there's going to yeah. be people, your shareholders are going to be hugely frustrated. The Andrew Forresters, possibly even the, the GK Capital guys, are going to be frustrated unless you can get things moving. Are you? What, what have you got in your armory to kind of get out there and tell people that you are going to be able to get into production. Because I think that's been a bit of a problem. People not believing that you could get this the environmental component done um, oh, and that you would be a minor. No, I don't. Look, I don't agree with that. I don't I don't think there's anyone out there, certainly of our major stakeholders, who don't believe we can get this into production. Are you stakeholders? That's, that's not the feedback. Of course, your stakeholders wouldn't say that. I'm talking about other people investing in other uranium companies and not you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's a good question. And that's one of the reasons why we're pivoting the message. So, you know, for the last three, four years, we were thought leaders in the uranium space. That's how we met. You know, there was there weren't very many people out there talking about the macro. Um, and then that space started to fill up with some very, very good people who are spending 100 percent of their time on it. Mike, Mike, um, Mike Elkin, you've come in with your uranium show. You've got um, the fella, uh, uh, Dustin Garrow. Yeah. Is it yes, he's been on many times. In the States, you've got Brandon. Yeah. So that space is filling up mm. with some really good, really smart commentators. And so, you know, obviously that that's not working for us. So the, 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 the pivot now is let's talk about Mogul Rock. Let's talk about how it shapes up against our peers. So people start looking around going, well, who is going to be the next uranium mine? You go, well, geez, there's not many. And here's one that's sitting there with an all-in sustaining cost that's comparable with the high-priced Kazakh operations. So those are the things we need to hammer home. Those are the things we need to get out there and say to people, this is real. This will happen. Can and and I suppose you, you're going to see new messaging from us, you know, and that's, 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 that's the armory. You know, we've got the bullets we've got now in our gun with the, with the, the, the refresh. It's a pretty powerful message to be out there talking about. It's, it's a better story. It's a better story. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's uh, you know it's you know ch changed much. Well, clearly the share price would agree with me. But can you just clear something up for me? Alligator River, right? I think again there are people, and again we've seen conversations out there that people believe that if Alligator River is to kind of get going again, that you're going to take your free cash flow, hopefully, 
that you get from Mulga Rock and plow it back into the ground at Alligator River. But you've just talked about bringing a partner in. So what's the plan for Alligator River? Just clear that up for everyone. Sure. So the plan with Alligator, if you wait for free cash flow, you're years away from doing anything with Alligator. Um, there is a good deposit up there at Angularly. Uh, Angularly was at the same level of study and, and approvals as Morga Rock. There's no doubt you'd be mining that one first because it's smaller, cheaper. Um, you'd, you'd be you'd be underground mining that very quickly. Um, we want it. We want to progress Alligator. It's a great target, uh, but we don't want to dilute and dilute and dilute and be just an explorer. We want to be a developer. So we can run. We have two choices. One is we just let that let that be until we have cash flow or we can go up and do some work. We do have an obligation to the Aboriginal people up there to do work on the ground because there is a, a cash flow for them. So there is a certain amount of, uh, I hate the term, but license to operate, to get on the ground. Um, and it's a good target. You know, it's a good target to bring someone into. Um, we certainly wouldn't go beyond uh, 49% for a, June, a partner coming in. We'd want to maintain operation and control because it is a good asset. Um, so we're, and that's why we've, we've hired KPMG is to explore those options, to give us the options and, and look, we're not going to have somebody come in and undercut us on that. It has a valuation. We have an internal valuation on that based on the scoping study that was done. That's the valuation we'll stick to. Um, and if somebody comes in and wants to, uh, wants to earn in, um, then, then we'll let that happen. And that, and that way you can accelerate the process up there and, you know, 51% of something's all a lot better than 51, 100% of nothing. So that's that's really the plan for Alligator. Okay, great. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, I'm assuming no conversations as yet. Early days and plus people are looking at uranium space and not quite sure what they'd be getting into. So um, when would you look to start those types of conversations and where would you be looking? Um, so KPMG need to get into the data room. Um, you know, we start need to start putting IMs together. Uh, and then we'll and then we'll go from there. So for timeline, I would think weeks and months, not months and years. Um, but you know, we want to certainly we want to have um, start start to getting some nibbles before Christmas. Absolutely. Okay. Just oh, my light just went out. Your light went out. I hope not. Um... <laughs> oh, it did. The battery's dead. Oh man. <laughs> Oh well, you need to increase the budget. Um, just one last question on GFS then, because I think the, the light was telling us something. Yep. Um, are you nervous at all about a weakening US dollar? Uh, well, the US dollar, AU dollar, is always tied to commodity prices with strong gold and strong iron ore. Uh, yes, the price, the, the dollar is going up. Our dollar is going up. Um, but you know, gold booms and iron ore booms don't last forever. I've lived through oh, probably four gold booms since I've been here, and two iron ore booms. Um, so I would think, you know, we've looked at long-term price and that's the long-term from 23 onwards that we've set it at 65. Um, the price stays at 70. That reduces our NPV by about 170. So yes, it has an effect on the project. Um, obviously it doesn't change the U.S. numbers. Um, but again, it's one of those things I just don't know. Uh, but right now our dollar is strong because we've seen historic iron ore prices historic gold prices so they don't they certainly don't last forever okay i think i've been interesting to watch the only reason i ask is obviously with all of this quantitative easing going on and people talking about fiat currencies uh, struggling i think gold's benefiting from that but you know for the rest of us normal mortals um we must have a view on what the future looks like and what these currencies are going to do so well i i guess we'll, we'll follow that with keen interest um mike thanks very much for the update it's been a while 
things are moving. Great news. Well done. Um, stay in touch. Pick up the phone. Let us know when as, as things uh, happen. Okay. I will for sure. Um, and I, I do apologize for the long uh, delay, but we, we really wanted to have some news to talk about. And as I said, Matt, you've got some great people come on your show weekly. I do watch it and you've got some really knowledgeable people in there and I didn't need to add to the noise and I certainly wanted to, you know, bring up some good news on, on Vimy. So thanks very much, Matt. You're, you're a great service to our industry and uh, we, re we really do. And I mean, we really do appreciate the work that you do. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.